0: We've been talking about the Kingdom of God. We're going to kind of wrap up that series today. Starting next week, we'll, we will go through, beginning to go through the Book of Judges. Like it's a book that we need to read again and again in our current climate. As we seek to be the people of God in a world that uh, does whatever is right for all of us. And then are going go to these ourselves together. Any many of these themes that I try to pick up on aren't just on their own, but they really flow, at least that's my thought in my head, they flow from one to the other. But as we look at, at things, and as we look at our passage this morning, we, we understand the idea that questions are powerful. That, that when questions are asked, something can change about an individual or even us. And what I I love about who Jesus is, he encourages questions. He was comfortable with questions. He was willing to be asked questions. And maybe at times with impure motives. When someone was trying to go, I'm going to get you. You know, one of those box questions you know, uh, you know, maybe Ron, you have your experience when you were teaching seminary that one student who would try to kind of ask a question to prove that you weren't as smart as he was or she was. You know. Uh, you know, or, or something like that. You know, and, and sometimes we as the church aren't very comfortable with questions. Let's be honest, I'm not always comfortable with questions. You know, the question of why. You know, uh, uh, my kids love to ask that at times. Right, man? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. We're not comfortable with questions. In our churches, sometimes we're not comfortable. Maybe Jordan is asking a question, and maybe it's not always because she really wants to know the answer, but because she wants to kind of be a honoring teenage girl. Uh, I know that's odd for you to hear that you would ever be that way, right? Alright. The greatest thinkers, in my opinion, of our day are the ones who ask questions. Maybe they didn't even know where they were going, but they ask questions. And and a lot of times I must admit that I answer the questions without letting them just hang. A lot of that has to do with my own anxiety that I, I realize more and more how much I struggle with. Because if I can provide you with the answers, then at least you will think I know what I'm doing, maybe. If I can provide you the answers, then I can tell to myself, I am smart enough. I am good enough. I am actually able.
1: But see, when I answer those questions out of that
0: posture, I'm really using the person from my own get and instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do, answer the question with truth, and love, and grace, and mercy. So this morning, I admit, and I apologize in advance, I'm going to ask a lot of questions and try not to answer any of them. Because see. We as Baptists believe that we all, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can hear the Holy Spirit. I, as your pastor, don't have to say, Thus saith the Lord. That and the Holy Spirit that Yvette has within her is the same Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit can tell you that the answer to questions. That we both provide the space. The Holy Spirit that's in Chad and John is the same Holy Spirit. I don't have to do the work for John, I just got to open the space. And hope that John will open the space. It's a different way. Yes, at times we need that guy to say, here might be the answer. But as you look here in Luke chapter 10, we see that Jesus is asked a question, and it goes something like this. Someone came to Jesus, a really smart intelligent man who knew a lot of answers. And says, What must I do to inherit the kingdom and to stay in the kingdom when you come back? I want to make sure I'm there. Those around nodded and agreed. Yeah. Oh, what? Oh, that's a good one. I can't wait to hear what the great teacher will say. Jesus responds, Tell me. What does the Torah say? What is written? How, what answers do you know? How do you interpret our scriptures? Man goes on to say, I, I got this one. I mean, I passed this one and it wasn't the first grade. Love the words of God with honor, heart, soul, mind, strength, everything about me I gotta love God with. And love my neighbor. As myself. Response to Jesus is what anybody would respond well said. Not to The lawyer, the leader, the smart man says, Yeah, what, um, that doesn't really answer my question. What, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God in coming? What are the minimum requirements? Of okay, me, do I have to love all my neighbors, or who are my neighbors? Jesus goes on to say there was a certain man who was on a traveling journey of about seventeen to twenty miles up and down hills, going from quite a few thousand feet above sea level to about eight hundred above sea level. When robbers, a group of them, decided they would have their way with him, beat him up, stole everything he had, and thinking he might be dead or at least close to it, left so no one would find out it was dead. It was an unfair fight from the beginning. The man was alone and was beaten up by a group. While he lay there, a priest, Coming down probably from Jerusalem and the temple by himself goes down, starts to notice, but goes on the other side. Not sure why, but he does. After that, a, a Levite, the, the one who does the uh, not the really, really important tasks of the temple. I mean, they don't offer the sacrifice, they don't, they don't get their hands in the nitty-gritty the what they were call the sacred stuff, but they were intentional and necessary so everything worked in the temple went down. Seeing what may have been a dead body, also crosses over and passes by. Two strikes, one more is Then comes another individual, a Samaritan, by chance or not, comes and sees the individual. When he saw him, he went down in compassion and mercy, put him on his own donkey, his own ride, so he could walk. He poured his wine in there to kind of clean all those uh, spots because infection in those first centuries would not have been a good thing let alone the infection we face today. And he doesn't just uh, try to clean out the room. He puts some oil to kind of help heal and soothe to make it just a tad bit more comfortable. And he takes him on down and finds a place to stay for both of them. And he takes what would have probably been equivalent to about a 21-day stay For a man in a poor stature at this place, it says, Take care of him, and when I come back from my journeys, I will, I will pay whatever his expenses are. And then the question Which of these individuals was a neighbor? Questions are powerful. Pardon me, both Jesus, you really know the answer. That's not fair. Sometimes the point. See, the man has to answer the question not because he doesn't know the answer, but in articulating the answer, we, he, us, he, you, the answer. That's like the question. That every child needs to hear. So, what did you do? Or, in our house, how did that break? It's the question with the answer already known a lot of times. But in them happening to answer there's something that goes deeper with it. And then, interesting enough, says, The one who had mercy on them. The response of our Lord is, for a second time, go and do thy Go and do thy Questions? I want to pick out some questions that are asked in my telling of scripture this morning. The question that we're all asking this man asked is, what about the future? See, tucked in, this is a, a very a common question in our day, especially as we're coming out post-pandemic. What does the future look like? In fact, it's a question that I ask multiple times every single week. What does the future look like for, for myself individually, for my family? For us as a church, where does where the future hold and how are we going to live into that future? I've been actually writing a newsletter article for probably about a month on this question and it's still only about a paragraph and a half off. It might have taken care of here soon. Maybe. But what about the future? The, the question begins. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Not eternal life. Eternal life is more than just salvation. The early church and early Jews knew this. It it wasn't just punch my ticket. The question he's saying is, I believe I already have salvation because I'm God's people. I'm I'm in the framework of the people of God. But how can I make sure... When God comes to restore all of earth and his kingdom comes on earth, how can I make sure I'm there? He picks up this concept from Daniel chapter 12. At that time, uh, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, the people of Israel, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is not written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake some to everlasting life. God's kingdom comes back, and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who be in his righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. But you, David, will love and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go and there be there, marriage and saved. This was the hope of the nation of Israel. This, this is underlying the whole idea of the kingdom of God. Not just someday salvation will come, but they are, their names are in the book of life. Right then, because they are God's people, they're waiting for God to come back and restart his kingdom. And he wanted to make sure he was there. That he would be the one that shines like the brightness of heavens. And isn't that what we ask? How can I be faithful? How, Lord? How can I make sure that eternal life <coughs> is more than just salvation? Scripture say? And then he has the question, of Jesus: Well, what is Scripture saying? The, the guy says, uh, he picks up the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. He quotes the great Shema, love the word of God with everything. And he also picks up Leviticus 19. We stay away from Leviticus. We stay very from chapters 16 to about 20. Good reason. Alright? When he picks up the in-law, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because I am the Lord. And he, he he picks this up and he realizes this. He realizes that love and action go best together. The crowd all of Scripture is devotion to God with, with action for God. Love and grace and action go together. There never was this time where faith versus works. The love that we have today. They understood if they are the people of God, it must mean they live out what it means to be the people of God. As we struggle with as well, and he, he quoted Leviticus nineteen. But if, if you remember, and I'll bring it back up again, it says, uh, do not bear a against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor, I, to your people. And so he goes on and he asks another question. And it is basically this, do you seek bare men on do I What is the bare necessity I have to do to get there? a question I think our world asks quite often. And here, actually, I see myself. See, because when we start to answer our own questions, we realize, uh-oh, maybe there's more to it than what I thought. What, so what, what is the bare minimum requirements in order to get there? I want it, but I don't want to have to work too hard or think too hard about it. I really don't want to be challenged too much, but a little bit okay. That would be like Nadia an to go back to school in the fall, going to her teachers to say, what is the bare minimum to pass and I'm just going to do that and give me the AAs. You're laughing pretty hard when I make that pass. hard. I mean, pretty odd. I can tell that. You know, we get that, right? Sometimes we, we ask and, and our employers what's the to the next. What can I do just to get by? How much work is really involved? We start to qualify. We start to qualify. I see this sometimes in our churches, God's people. How much do we really have to reach out in order to get people here? How much do we really have to stay in order to just Make things be okay enough. What can we do? Just again, kind of sweep by to the next year or the next. How much do I really have to read scripture? Listen to these words from Leviticus 19. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you yourself were foreigners in Egypt and I am the Lord your God. Interesting. If you were to study first century Jewish thought they, they knew these words, and then they got ways around the bare minimum requirements. They would say, well, love the foreigner with, among you, but they need to convert to Judaism within a year, otherwise you're off the hook. Man, that would be great, wouldn't it? You know, hey, I only have to love somebody for a year, and then if they don't get up to my way of seeing things, see ya. we seek fair minimum. That's part of our, our human nature, I believe. Well, I will continue to do this only if they show me effort that says they're coming to my way of thinking. If they would just agree with me, life would be better. If they would just do what I tell them to do, which is the right way, which is the better way, things would be And in so doing, even asking those questions, it's almost like we're using people. Using them to get what we want. Using them to do what we want them to do, not necessarily because God wants us to. Do you seek the bare men? I'll do this as long as. Another question. Will we be known in the future as the quote-unquote (laughs) anti-people? To some extent, the wording that Luke uses with the priest and the Levite as he tells the story in the original language, he highlights that they were against something. We don't know what. I really have the more I study this passage, the more I have sympathy for the priest and for the Levi because they struggle with the idea of uh, being the loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And loving their neighbor. It's a, it's a question of the duty versus duty. Loving of God or loving. How do they do it when it's not clear cuts? They don't know if this guy's dead or not. They don't know if he's a Jew or not. They don't know, but they just know they can't go there. They are become against him. And here, I believe it's not a Christian. If not, it's, uh, you lost me. If it's not that one. It's good faith, and if it's not that one, it's uh, modern-day exile by the So pick one of the four. Uh, you have a 25 percent chance of getting it. Uh, with that, uh, in those books, the number one uh, concern the authors have, that have played out in the years since then, is the perception of our faith, is we are the anti people. Not what we are for, but what we are against. I sat on a webinar, uh, this week presented by our region, about how to interact with, with those in our world that are nothing in particular, known as the nuns. They don't claim any faith, religion, preference. And there's a lot of them. What is beautiful about that group is they're not anti-church, anti-Christian. They're just saying, I'm nothing right now. The majority of them can come to the saving faith. These aren't the atheists and agnostics that are that are, are, are mean-spirited. In fact, in our world, there are very few of those, though there are some. And sometimes we fight when we are anti Christian something, and we're, we're, we're really positioning to be anti against whatever the the far opposite end of ours would say, the bold atheists, and in so doing, we lose those in the middle. Anti. See, in this story, it wasn't necessarily that the thoughts That the issue of the priest and the Levite were were wrong. In fact, we know very little for a reason. It's not about them. But see, the question that is asked, uh, what is the bare minimum neighbor that I have? He's going, really, what the guy is saying, using it to vindicate himself, to justify saying, I'm white. What I already know is white, which means I can exclude this one or that one. They're not your people. Will we be known as anti? Now, this doesn't mean we throw all of our uh, uh, very hope, dear beliefs out the window. No, we keep and we say permanent. But what will we be known for? How will we show that? I'm not saying we aren't there. And one of the most encouraging things Kevin has ever said to me, the other week he said, I'm not a church here, but I don't know. You know, uh, but the most encouraging is, is you realize our, our community knows who we are as a church right now. We are not. If we cease to exist tomorrow, I think our our community would hurt. They would feel the effects of it. And not just because of the individuals here that do lots of great things in our community, because we do things collectively. I believe, and I hear people, and I hear people People who, because they know we love our community, that we are for Saint Paris, will donate stuff to us when they believe the exact opposite of us. And if you think I'm exaggerating, this is one of those, I'm not. Exact opposite. But yet they know we are for St. Paris, and they're for St. Paris, and they're like, Well, we can't do this, but maybe the Church of Jesus can do this. of Jeremiah when he says, seek the peace and prosperity of your city. We live in a culture that is no longer Christian. The world of our kids is not a Christian world. We can argue how much we were or are not in years past, but in so doing we may forget that we aren't there, but there is great possibilities and we will say, I am for something for our community. For community. One of the greatest takeaways of the webinar this week by the author of the book, Nuns, was people are among, those who are nothing in particular, they want to belong somewhere, and if they belong somewhere, they may start to believe along the way. That sometimes belief doesn't come first, but belonging does. How can our groups be known as encouraging community. I think some of that means we also have that room for questions. Innocent questions and not so innocent questions. Questions that we know the answer, and questions we don't know the answer. I think Jesus asked this question. We asked the man at the end. Who is the neighbor? Will you let love grow? Will you let love grow? Or have you already figured it out? This isn't love as our world understands love. This isn't love as our culture would define love. This is a love that is intentional, a love that seeks good. The love that seeks not personal gain or personal preference, but a love that submits to the true love that is known in the Lord our God. Last question. What is Jesus saying to you to go to the Where You only can answer that one, right? you? Not even going to say what I think it might be. What is Jesus saying? Go and do likewise. Maybe it's not even with the story. Maybe you're looking at before the story and after the story. I mean, you got the story beforehand. I guess I maybe to somewhat answered the question, I apologize. You know, where he sends out the 72. Ministry, calling. Some of you are called there and you're fighting. Go and do likewise is the 72. Maybe for others of you, Jesus is saying, "Go and do likewise." Like Mary, it's a time to sit, stop being so active that you lose sight in this moment of the better thing that is before you. What is Jesus saying? Go and do likewise. As I close. Notice, total commitment meets minimum minimum requirements every time. Total commitment meets minimum minimum requirements every single time. When we play, what must I do to just barely get in? And you miss a whole lot. A lot of boys play baseball right now. It's been fun to watch you all play. Are they the best? The Reds haven't called yet, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> and you probably not want to play with the Reds anyway, right now, you yeah. uh, know. Are they the best? No. Uh, but, you know, we're trying to teach them to be all men. If, if, if they have it up and they go, well, I know in baseball that, you know, if the minimum to be good is if, you know, I at least did it one out of ten times and just sit there. Well, I'm not going to try it this time because I've got nine other times to go. And you're not going to do well out of it. But as long as I can throw, you know, at least into the infield from the outfield, I mean, that's a bare minimum requirement, at least get it to the dirt. I me throw at the third base on Perfect. But hey, at least I got it in. No. Oh. We must commit all. And this is where Jesus asks us what do we do? all the us, or something. What is it? What is the Lord saying, go and do violence. Father, I thank you for this time. The Lord has been now singing this very appropriate song of surrendering all, knowing that when we freely give to you, it is never wasted. So Lord, I just ask that by the power of the Spirit that you would speak to all of us here right now, whether we are here in this place or those who are are watching online, the Holy Spirit is in both. Where are you already saying? May we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. This morning. And as we need to respond, may we respond. But above all, we do. We we to be it, to be faithful. So Lord, help us to ask good questions and be willing to listen for the answer. Lord, I just thank you for this time and put all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Will you stand as we sing the hymn of the faith I surrender all